one constant through all the years, Ray. Beyond the game. The ladies are taking my sweet face. That's the dumbest thing I could think of. Our formula is this. We go out, we hit people in the mouth. You like that? You like that? That is a career ender. Just like this show. You're already famous in Rochester, the Watch Out World. It's a faith-based sports radio program. We would be honored if you would join us. Hello, everybody. This is the Beyond the Game program coming to you from the BTG studio in Rochester, New York. Sports talk without the trash talk. BTGprogram.com or at BTG program. I'm Rick Benson, and this is an encore presentation of Beyond the Game. We're away this week, but we have some segments from previously aired broadcasts that we hope you will enjoy. If you're not familiar with our show, we view sports slightly different than the average sports talk program. We look at various topics in sports from a faith-based perspective. We discuss a topic, and then we consider some things that can be applied from the Word of God. We hope you enjoy the segments we have picked out for you for this broadcast. Here's the first one. Welcome back in. Glad you could join us. I'm Rick Benson. This is the Beyond the Game program. I'm here with Zach Barletta, talking sports from a faith-based point of view, giving you some things that I know you're not going to hear on other sports talk radio programs and hopefully using these things to encourage you a little bit along the way. Were you watching a big game, Zach? You got any big plans? Maybe a big party you didn't bother to invite me to? No, I think we're probably just going to be watching it at home. Because I got two little kids that are going to have to go to bed at like the end of the first quarter, so... I think we're just going to stay home. I'll make nachos. My wife and I usually just watch it at home. We have a small group, as you know. We get together every other Sunday night for our Bible study. But we scheduled around the game, figuring that somebody's going to invite us over. But apparently they don't want us around either. must be something the way my wife watches football, the way she uh, conducts herself, uh, the yelling, the screaming, the carrying on. must be (laughs) people people don't like it. And the Raiders aren't even in it. This game can't come soon enough for me. And not because I want to see the game necessarily or I want to see Justin Timberlake, but it means that, A, we're one step closer to baseball. Yeah. And, B, it brings an end to the worst week of sports coverage of the entire year. Yeah. At some point, there's nothing more to talk about, as evidenced by they going around at that media day, that, what do they call it, opening night. That is the most awful thing that they're just asking the most absurd things. Nothing sports really. As a sports fan, I want to know sports. That's why mm-hmm. I turn into sports radio. If you're going to be asking how to make Bill Belichick laugh, does he like to be tickled? Is I'm not interested in this yeah. stuff. I don't want to hear you ask my favorite player, like what kind of sandwich would he be if he was a sandwich? <laughs> I'm just not interested in that. I want to know about the X's and O's of the game. And I can't stand the whole radio row thing either. And no, I'm not bitter that we're not invited. You know, of course I would go if we were, but I don't think I'd record our show from there. Maybe because we're a weekly show, Mm -hmm. but those daily shows become hideous after a while. You have the same guests showing up, going from station to station to station, Mm -hmm. and they're introduced the same way because they have some product or some thing that they're promoting 
which has written a script. This is how he'll be promoted on behalf of whatever they're doing. It's it's the same. Every show ends up sounding exactly the same. I like the competition. I like the sports coverage. That's what I want from sports radio. That's what I want from my sports television. I don't. I really don't care about the halftime shows, the pregame shows, the whatever other shows where they roll out musicians who will make their tired, predictable, gratuitous statements about politics. You know you can't wait to see Justin Timberlake. Hip-Hop Rick is excited about this. There is something about Justin Timberlake that's entertaining. He's humorous. He's – I've seen movies that he was in. He's good. I but I'm not interested in his halftime show. Well, last time he was in the halftime show, there was a wardrobe malfunction. So that was pretty interesting. Was that the last time he was in it? Yeah. Was that the Janet Jackson thing? Mm-hmm. Wow. That's a while ago now, isn't it? Is, it is, yeah. I mean, is it just me or am I being an old fart when it comes to that sort of stuff? No, I think you're dead on. I, you know, I look, the halftime show is going to be a big spectacle. That's all it is anymore. It's a spectacle. The, the week leading up to it, Every possible storyline gets completely overdone. The interviews are stupid. It's, it's aside from the actual game itself. You're right. It's one of the worst weeks in sports. Yeah, I just I don't care for it. Get off my lawn. It seems we talk about this every year. The Patriots are so good at getting those guys that got cast off from other places and then plugging them in into their system and getting great results. Mm-hmm. Like them or hate them, the Patriots are the best at it. Adding key guys who bring a little leadership, maybe fill a specific need. And it also seems like we say this every year. It'll be interesting to see how the Patriots proceed as they start thinking about the post-Tom Brady era. Mm -hmm. The guy's going to be a 40-year-old starting quarterback. The only one who ever started at 40 or older in the Super Bowl. Yeah, he's 40 now, so that means they've only got like 10 more years to find a replacement. He played at a great high level all year, but at some point, you can't keep doing what he's doing, right? You would think so. I mean, I think we were saying this when he was like 35. We're like, well, the end's in sight. You got to I know. It seems like we say that every single year. Yeah. I mean, eventually, physics has got to catch up with Tom Brady, right? I mean, you can't just keep slinging the ball around until he's 50 or Kenny. I guess we'll find out. I'm not minimizing talent, obviously. We talk about plugging into the system there, but obviously to be successful as they have, they they have talent. But do you think the Patriots as having the most talented players in the league? I, I usually don't. They have a system that seems to work. I can't think of any other team in all of sports that, is less dependent on the talent of their players as they are the system. Now, again, understand, I understand they have talented players, but even you take a guy like Tom Brady, I don't think he's the best quarterback in the league. No. He's not the most accurate passer. He doesn't have the strongest arm, but he does have that something that sets him apart, Mm -hmm. that ability to take over a game that you saw in Michael Jordan, that you saw in Wayne Gretzky. The only other team that I can think of offhand might be the San Antonio Spurs that depend not as much on talent. But the Patriots are there year after year, regardless of who who's on their roster. That's just amazing to me. Yeah. The other team that comes to mind when you talk about that is the um, the Detroit Red Wings that made the playoffs, like, what, 21 straight years or something like that, that just they had the few, the key players down the middle, and then, you know, they had the role players around them that just did their jobs. But 
You're right. You know, it seems like players cycle in and out of New England all the time. The Patriots will trade him away rather a year too early than a year too late and continue to cycle players through. And it seems like they have specific types of players that they like and they bring them in and they always seem to work out. A couple of weeks ago, or maybe even last week, we were, when we were talking about the Hall of Fame, we got to talking about Jack Morris, you and I. And there's a guy who's finally getting into the Baseball Hall of Fame that people who didn't see him play may find themselves wondering why. You look at his statistics, they're not overwhelming. Mm-hmm. But Jack Morris was one of those guys that in a big game, everything's on the line. You wanted him on the mound because he just had what Tom Brady has, that ability to to put a team on his shoulders and just almost will it to victory, Jack Morris had that. Uh, he has that mental edge, that toughness. If you never saw him play, you probably couldn't identify what makes him so great. Yeah, and you know I have to give him the benefit of the doubt, I guess, because you know myself looking at Jack Morris's numbers, they don't look Hall of Fame worthy at all to me. But I think, like you said, I didn't get to see him play, so there is something to be said for maybe you don't have the numbers at the end of your career that you would expect, but there's something to be said for being one of the dominant players of your generation, which Jack Morris apparently was. Jesus Christ had a system that didn't depend on talent, doesn't depend on talent, and that system ended up changing the entire world. Matthew chapter 28, verse 19 says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The same thing that makes a team successful, an organization successful, is the same thing which strengthens a church, and that's disciple-making, regardless of what you call it. In fact, if you show me a healthy, growing church, I'm going to be able to show you at least some evidence of a focused discipleship program, an intentional discipleship program. I'm not talking about one person in the church who goes around teaching everybody else what it is that they like, what their preferences are. We're not talking about cloning sheep. What I'm talking about is somebody who teaches others not to model them, but to model Jesus Christ. Think about think about the system Jesus had for a moment. He taught 12 key people, things like love, compassion, forgiveness, other Christ-like characteristics. And those 12 people pass them on to other people who pass them on to others. And 2,000 years later, here we are, and that teaching is still the most significant teaching on the planet. Second Timothy 2.2 says, The things which you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Jesus' specific command wasn't necessarily to make converts. His command was to make disciples. Now evangelism is part of it, but that's just the beginning. The idea behind the uh, the concept of a of a disciple is that of a student, that of a follower. And Jesus tells the story of a sower, somebody who sows seeds. And the parable is found in Matthew chapter thirteen. It's also found in Mark chapter four, also Luke chapter eight. Basically, there are seeds being planted in different types of soils. In one type, the seed just fell along the side and birds came and ate it up. In another, it was on rock and the heat of the day, the sun got too intense and though it sprouted, it quickly withered away. In another type of ground, there was many, many thorns, many weeds. And you know what weeds do in a garden, chokes out the plant. And that's what happened to the seedling. But those seeds which were put into good fertile soil, well, they grew, they thrived, they produced fruit. 
Jesus explains that parable. He says that the seeds along the way were like the word of God when somebody hears it, but they have no interest in it. The devil sort of just snatches it up before it even has a chance to reach the hearer's heart. The seed that fell on the ground, they're like people who hear the word of God and they agree with it and they accept it. But then the heat of life gets too intense. And though they start out on fire, they they fade away because they can't handle they're not firmly grounded. They're not firmly rooted, I guess, is what I'm trying to say. And then there are the thorns, the distractions of the world, which they just increase and, and they choke out the word busyness. You know, people that their time with God, their prayer time gets less and less and less as other things begin to take priority and choke it out. But for those people who get nourished, uh, they get discipled, they get taught, they get fed, they get watered, they get taken care of. Those people thrive, and that is what disciple-making is all about. And if you're a mature believer in Christ, you should always have somebody you or, or maybe somebodies that you're investing in, that you're uh, actively taking part in their life. If you're a new believer in Christ or someone who has maybe never really grown in your faith, you find yourself just sort of floundering Perhaps you'd benefit from being discipled, coming along someone who's going to show you how to use your unique talents for the good of the faith. Maybe you don't even know what your talents are. Now, there's some humility involved there, going to somebody who uh, is going to teach you and saying, can, can you help me? Obviously, there's some humility. But remember, you're not going to somebody who has it all figured out. You're going to somebody that's in a position to help, maybe because of their having been uh, a Christian for many years or uh, their vast Bible knowledge. Let me leave you with this. Successful sports teams, successful organizations, well, they have disciple-making programs. Again, they don't call it that. They might call it a development program. They might call it a mentoring program, but it's a disciple-making program. Introducing a person to Christ and then helping them to grow strong in the faith. That's a discipleship program. If your church doesn't have such a plan, I'd encourage you to talk to your pastor. Maybe you can start one, a system to help believers grow into strong, mature followers of Jesus Christ. They bear fruit. They cast light that's evident to the world around them of a life that's been changed by the power of God. Jesus says in Matthew 7.20, you will know them by their fruits. Now, be honest in your heart for just a moment. Think about your life. Is there clear fruit? Is it evident to others? Can people tell that you're a person of faith without you having to tell them that you go to church? Jesus then says in verse 21 that not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter. He goes on to describe people who taught the Bible, people who thought they were Christians, but they never They never really knew God in their heart. They were never sincere in their heart. Perhaps it was just a job or just a way to get noticed. And being a Christian is a relationship with God that's rooted in your heart. It's not a job. It's not a tradition that you've inherited from your family. It's not something you do just to be part of something. It's a relationship with God that really is the motivation behind everything You do. If you don't have a faith, which is clearly developing fruit, 
If it's your glory you're seeking and not God's, then maybe you should consider being part of a discipleship program. If we can help, please contact us through our website, btgprogram.com. I want to thank you so much for listening to the Beyond the Game program. I'm Rick Benson. We'll be back right after this. Do you know an athlete whose participation in athletics is vital to their college choice? Then consider telling them about Roberts Wesleyan College. Hi, I'm Dr. Dina Porterfield, president of Roberts. We field 17 varsity sports and offer the only NCAA D2 program in Greater Rochester. Our teams have won six conference titles and reached three NCAA national championship appearances. Help the athlete you know to take their game to the next level. Visit roberts.edu is here ram sports network christian sports television that's right christian sports television ram sports network is the first christian sports tv channel with programming from peewee to the pros games events sports talk fitness and nutrition sports missions western sports and sports ministry we're spreading the gospel through sports watch us now at ramsportsnetwork.com or find us on the roku channel store ram sports network more than a game It took me a long time to be able to say Chandler has cancer because that is such a scary word. When St. Jude finds something that works well with a certain cancer, they share that with everybody. And knowing that we don't have to pay for all of the medical expenses, that's huge. We just have to worry about helping Chandler, and he's just my heart. St. Jude Children's Research Hospital. Finding cures, saving children. Learn more at stjude.org. Welcome back into the Beyond the Game program. I'm Rick Benson, and this is an encore presentation of the show. We're away this week, but we hope you enjoy this previously aired segment. Along with Zach Barletta, I'm Rick Benson. This is the Beyond the Game program. Beyond the Game is recorded in what we think is a very cozy BTG studio here in Rochester, New York. Mm -hmm. The podcast of the show, which, by the way, you're listening to right now, as well as past broadcasts are available at our website, btgprogram.com. They're also available through iTunes and other podcast sources like Google Play. You can subscribe and have it downloaded automatically, just as people from all around the world do each and every week just like the folks in Shreveport, Louisiana, did this past week in downloading the program. Home of the Independence Bowl, which the last time around a few weeks ago saw Florida State just taking it to Southern Miss, 42-13. to Many interesting things, many interesting people in Shreveport. You may not know this, but according to the good folks there, due to some tax incentives that the state offers, Louisiana is now the third largest film industry in the country, trailing only the obvious, California and New York. I did not know that. A number of films and TV shows have been filmed in the Shreveport area, such as I Saw the Light, which was a movie starring Tom Hiddleston in a lead role about the life of Hank Williams. And you may not know that it was Hank Williams who wrote that gospel song, I Saw the Light. Too many notable people born or raised in Shreveport to be able to list them all. Williams' son, Hank Williams Jr., was born in Shreveport. Terry Bradshaw is on that list of people from Shreveport. Boston Celtics great Robert Parrish, blues guitar legend Kenny Wayne Shepard, and four-time Olympic gold medalist 
Evelyn Ashford. Thanks for listening to Shreveport, Louisiana, wherever it is that you are listening from today. We're honored that you've made us part of your day. Zach, I make it a rule never to get into a back and forth debate on social media. Yep. It's it's a poor forum for a discussion, a civil discussion anyway. Mm-hmm. I'm convinced there's a good percentage of people who just take satisfaction in luring other people into some nonsensical exchange, just sort of trolling. And if I reply at all, which is rare that I do, I typically will only allow for one, maybe a second exchange before I'm done and I just walk away from the keyboard. I saw a few posts during Sunday's AFC Championship game between uh, the Patriots and the Jaguars, which I thought was just disturbing. I saw a number of people who I know to be Christians and solid ones at that, I, I would think, I, I believe that, posting statements that sort of, what would you say, celebrated the head injury uh, that Rob Gronkowski mm-hmm. suffered. Now, look, you know, I'm in no way a fan of Rob Gronkowski. I've mentioned this yeah, a, number of towns, I, a number of times. Excuse me. I, I don't like the persona he projects. I don't like the glorification of that partying lifestyle, drunkenness, uh, sexual promiscuity. I don't think it's good. It's definitely not biblical. However, I don't know Rob Gronkowski to be a believer in Jesus Christ. I I don't think that he is. I I don't know him. That whole thing may just be a persona, Zach. I I have no idea. I don't know the man. He might be a wonderful human being, and, and maybe he is. But I don't know him to be a believer, so I wouldn't expect him necessarily to agree with my view on such things. The Bible refers to sinners as being blind to their sins. First Corinthians 2.14 says, The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. And just a few verses later in verse 17, the Bible says, Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all men. I don't think celebrating somebody's head injury is honorable. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 8 talks of Christians now walking in the light as opposed to darkness as it did prior to giving their lives to Christ. Ephesians 5, 8 says, For you were formerly darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. When you're on social media and you're having a good time celebrating somebody's head injury, mm-hmm. um, That doesn't seem like light to me. That seems more like darkness, which is why it bothered me so much that people who really ought to know better, people who ought to have compassion, those that say they believe in Jesus Christ, were in fact enjoying Gronkowski's misfortune. As I said at the onset, look, I believe these people are good people. They're good Christians. They're solid Christians. I think they just sort of lapsed a little judgment here especially, you know, so much information is available now when it comes to head injuries. Mm -hmm. The league takes so many steps in regards to player safety now. It was absolutely shameful to see Christians take satisfaction in his injury based on their rooting interest in a football game. Yeah, and I get it. You know, I'm a Bills fan. I've never liked him, but for me, he moved towards the top of the public enemy list when he had that cheap shot on Tredavious White where he tried to injure Tredavious White's head. But, you know, all the reasons that I disliked that action that he took, attempting to concuss Tredavious White, those are the same reasons why I can't 
be happy that he got concussed because he's still a human being with a lot of life ahead of him who suffered a brain trauma, you know? And I don't like the guy, but I still never want to see anybody suffer a, a traumatic injury like that. It's funny you bring up the Tredavious White thing. I sent out a tweet sharing those thoughts, how I felt like, you know, Christian, shame on you for celebrating this injury. And I had a doctor somewhere out in the Buffalo way. It wasn't a head injury doctor. It, it was some other type of doctor. I, I can't remember. But somewhere out Buffalo White, clearly a Buffalo Bills fan. He tweeted back at me after I posted, hey, stop being, stop celebrating Gronkowski's injury. You know, it's, it's shame on you. He tweets back, tell that to Trey White's neck and brain. He almost permanently paralyzed him maliciously. Now, look, I agree. The Gronkowski hit was cheap. Should have been suspended, was suspended. I thought appropriately. I know you thought it should have been longer, but I'm not sure that it almost paralyzed him uh, permanently. You mm -hmm. might be stretching it just a little bit. Now, look, it had yeah. the potential for that. Absolutely. Certainly. So does a lot of uh, a lot of football hits that take place out on the field. So after the fellow tweeted me his response about the Tredavious White, as you've mentioned, I sent out my singular reply, the one thing I said, which was, obviously, you missed the point when your parents tried to teach you about two wrongs not making a right. That's when this guy, who obviously thought about his careless remarks later on because they've since been deleted and, you know, probably thought, yeah, I probably shouldn't have said this. Before he deletes them, he says, Gronk's hit was malicious with intent to injure. There's nothing forgiving about that. Sorry, bud. God bless you, though. Can I just say that I am glad Jesus Christ didn't feel that way. I am glad that that wasn't God's reply to my sin, that there was nothing forgiving about that. And that's why it's important, I think, as Christians to be forgiving um, in any circumstance, because I know myself personally, I've been forgiven of a lot of things. I'm sure you've been forgiven of a lot of things. What is it? that someone can do to us that we can't forgive them of when you think about the things that we've been forgiven of. Here's the thing. The Bible the Bible's pretty clear about rejoicing in the suffering of others. Proverbs 24, 17 says this, Do not rejoice when your enemy falls, and do not let your heart be glad when he stumbles. When defending his integrity, when defending his character, after so many trials had come Job's way, he says this in the book of Job, chapter 31, verses 29 to 30, If I rejoiced at the destruction of him that hated me, or lifted up myself when evil found him, neither have I suffered my mouth to sin by wishing a curse to his soul. Job is saying, look, man, all these things are happening to me. I haven't wished bad on anybody. I haven't cursed anybody. In fact, Romans chapter 12 suggests, in fact, that we should commiserate people uh, with people going through trials, going through hurts. Uh, Romans chapter 12, verses 14 and 15 says, Bless them which persecute you, bless and curse not. Rejoice with them that do rejoice, and weep with them that weep. And just a few verses later, in verse 17, the Bible says, Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all men. Seeing Gronkowski get hurt, rejoicing in it, I don't think qualifies as being honorable in the sight of all. Now, I'm not suggesting that as a Christian you need to accept or, or even turn a blind eye to sin. Uh, look, Gronkowski's hit on Tredavious White was, was wrong. It was a result of 
clearly his frustration. He lost control of his of his emotions. You, you don't have to condone that, and I'm not condoning that. But we do need to be compassionate to the world around us, including Rob Gronkowski. And cheering because he got hurt or cheering uh, secretly wanting bad things to happen to people. Maybe somebody at work, you're kind of they're going through something and, and you're secretly happy about it. You'd never tell anybody. But deep down, you know, you're taking satisfaction in that. That's just not the right thing to do. The extent of our care and concern for people will be proven. It will be revealed. It will be shown in the deeds that we do, how we care for people, how we act towards those people. That's going to show how we really care. How much do you really care? I wonder about those around you that are going to hell. That's such a difficult question. It's such a convicting question because we all have people around us who don't know Jesus and they're on their way to hell do we care enough to make sure that they're getting told? Or are, are we doing everything we can to reach them with the gospel? And the answer is probably no. And, and look, I'm talking to myself here. I'm not just uh, spouting off like I'm better than anybody. This applies to me. It applies to Zach across the studio. It applies to you probably listening as well. Jesus is compassion in the flesh. He sought to comfort the helpless. He sought to help the hurting there are so many passages in Scripture which show his compassion, so many passages which show that people were drawn to him as a result of that compassion. Many went to him when they felt there was no other option, when he was their last hope. And as a believer, you may get that very same opportunity at some point. People are watching you. They're going to judge your actions, and they're going to determine whether or not they think you really believe what you say you believe. And when the chips are down in their life, when they feel they've lost all hope, that's when they may come to you and want to know more about your faith. Perhaps you've been in those situations where someone admits, hey, man, I, look, I don't really believe in God. I, I don't pray. I don't go to church. But I know you do. And just wondering if you would pray for me. It happens. It happens pretty frequently. They saw when you were compassionate to someone who perhaps wasn't deserving it, and they remember that. In his Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said in Matthew 5.44, Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. You know, loving those people who love you back, well, that's really nothing special. That doesn't reveal anything unique about you or is any indication that your life has been changed by God. Matthew 5.46 says, For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? But loving those who are perhaps more difficult to love, uh, those that perhaps are very difficult to even like, that's something people notice. Jesus cared for the weak. He cared for those who were rejected by others, and people noticed. The guy in my Twitter exchange was unable to forgive Gronkowski for his action in a football game. And so when he saw him get what he felt was coming to him, he was glad. But as far as I can tell, this guy isn't a Christian. This guy hasn't been forgiven of his sins. He doesn't know what it is to have that burden of sin lifted and his debt paid. In Matthew chapter 18, starts in about verse 23, Jesus tells the parable of a king who was owed a great debt from one of his servants. He has compassion on that servant, and he forgives him of the debt which he was owed. 
Yet, as it turns out, that person was, in fact, owed a small debt from one of his peers, much smaller than the debt which he owed the king, and he refused to let that other debtor be released. He showed no mercy. He showed no compassion. Word gets back to the king about this, and he reinstates that debt because he was mad about it and hands the unforgiving servant over to torturers until the debt is paid. He says, look, king, I forgave you, and yet you're not forgiven this guy. I forgave you of much, and you're not able to forgive a very little. The point is this. God's forgiveness of our sins should motivate us to forgive those who offend us. The chapter ends after that parable. The chapter ends with a bit of a warning from Jesus, a pretty heavy one. Matthew 18, verse 35 says, My heavenly Father will also do the same to you if each of you does not forgive his brother from your heart. That's pretty serious. We need to forgive believers. Are are you maybe struggling with forgiveness? Is there someone on your life that you want to see bad things happen to? If you're a Christian, God has already forgiven you of a great debt. Anything someone has done to you is is really insignificant in comparison. Nobody could possibly offend you or offend me to the extent that our sins have offended God. They may not deserve forgiveness, but remember, neither did we. And who knows what blessings we may be missing out on as a result of our unwillingness to forgive. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The Bible says because of our sin, our debt is separation from a holy God, a just God. The debt that we owe means an eternity in hell instead of an eternity in heaven after we die and leave this world. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Like the king who forgave the debtor in that parable in Matthew chapter 18, the free gift of God is to be released from the debt of sin you owe. You don't deserve it, but God loves you enough that he offers it to you all the same. Ephesians 2 verses 8 and 9, For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. God is patient. You're going to eventually have to pay that debt, but God wants you to turn to him. Second Peter 3 9 tells us God's not wishing for any to perish, but to come to repentance. In that story, I failed to mention that before the king granted forgiveness of the debt, because the servant couldn't pay the king, the king was going to sell the man, sell the man's wife, sell the man's kids in order to reclaim that debt. The servant begged for forgiveness, and as a result, the king relented. And God is looking for us to seek forgiveness. Jesus Christ has already paid the debt of sin when he died on the cross. He gave his life in our place. He had lived a life without sin. He had no need to die, but he chose to do that. And he and when he did, when he went to that cross, he took upon it the weight of the sins of all mankind. He took my sins, he took your sins, and he, and he paid the price there with his death. But because he had the power over death, he rose again three days later. And he's offering that same power to you if only you seek the forgiveness, that power over eternal death. To be released from the debt of sin is only to believe, repent, and confess. First John 1 John 1.9 says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I would encourage you to have a conversation with God. Admit your sin and guilt to him. Tell him that you believe 
everything I just told you about Jesus dying on the cross in your place, that he was buried, that he rose again. Ask God to forgive you and ask him to help you in turning away from your sins. Second Corinthians 7.10 says, For godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation. Well, we realize the extent of our sins were broken and were sorrowful, and it causes us to turn away to not want to do those things again. You have to ask God to forgive you, though. You have to believe, and you have to ask God. Romans 10, 9 and 10 says that if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart a person believes, resulting in righteousness, and with the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. And this is available to everyone, regardless of the extent of your sins. Romans ten thirteen says, For whoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. If you've done that, we'd love to hear about it. It would be such an encouragement to us if you've asked God to forgive you of your sins. Send us a note through our website, btgprogram.com. And it just so happens that our friend Jason Romano has written a new book about forgiveness. If you're not familiar, Jason has appeared on our program a few times. And after he left ESPN, he now hosts the Sports Spectrum podcast. He struggled with forgiveness says with a father that uh, was an alcoholic. He had a hard time forgiving that. And Jason shares a story and how God changed his heart in his book, Live to Forgive. And I think the book sells for something like $15 on Amazon, but we have a number of those here. And if you'd like a copy, it'd be our pleasure to send it to you in exchange for uh, a donation of any type to this radio ministry. I, I don't, I'm not worried about how much you want to give. Whatever you give, we'll be glad to send you the book. And even if you don't want to give, you're not able to give. We'll send it to you anyway if you just ask. While supplies last, I should say, send us a note through our Twitter, through our website, btgprogram.com or at btgprogram. I want to thank you for listening. I'm Rick Benson. You're listening to the Beyond the Game program. high school athlete looking for a D2 college? Hi, I'm Dr. Dina Porterfield, president of Roberts Wesleyan College. We're proud to be a serious athletic school with great opportunities for serious athletes. In fact, we have the only Division II athletic program in the area. Our many varsity programs range from basketball, tennis, and cross country to track and field, golf, volleyball, and soccer. Tell the young athlete in your life about Roberts. Visit roberts.edu. Hey, it's Zach. If you're a fan of Unsolved Mysteries, Mythical Monsters, Murder Whodunits, or just podcasts in general, check out my other show, The Myths and Mysteries Podcast. Every two weeks, my brother Spencer and I tell fascinating stories about topics like the Bermuda Triangle, JFK's assassination, chupacabras, serial killers, and more. You can find us by searching for Myths and Mysteries on iTunes or Google Play or on our website, mythsandmysteriespod.com. Don't forget to click subscribe and leave us a review to let us know what you think. We're also on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Myths Podcast. So go check out the Myths and Mysteries Podcast, and we'll see you next time. Whoa. The moment my son saw a redwood tree. It's huge! Is the moment I knew that for him. You can't even see the top of that 
everything. Even the sky has no limit. There are some moments only the forest can inspire. Find yours at discovertheforest.org. Learn about forests near you and discover cool things to do when you go. Your moment is out there. Find it at discovertheforest.org. Brought to you by the U.S. Forest Service and the Ad Council. Thanks for being with us. This is an encore presentation of the Beyond the Game program. Here's another segment from a previously aired broadcast that we hope you not only enjoy, but are encouraged by as well. Along with Zach Barletta, I'm Rick Benson. This is the Beyond the Game program. I saw lots of tweets this week, Zach, after the Super Bowl, complaining about Al Michaels and Chris Collinsworth's work during Super Bowl 52. I didn't think they did that bad a job. I thought they, I, in fact, I'm a, I like Al Michaels. So I think it's a, a kind of a treat anytime he's working a game. But I laughed at one guy and he wasn't alone in this, but he's a guy that both you and I know. So I'm picking on him a little bit, but both he and his wife complained that uh, Collinsworth and Michaels were having some sort of apparent love affair with Tom Brady and the <laughs> Patriots. And I had just said to my wife when I saw their post, I had just said that I thought maybe they had a little man crush on Doug Peterson because they kept talking about how courageous his play calling. But overall, I thought they did a pretty good job. There were two places where Collinsworth questioned. It was both both Eagles touchdowns where yeah. Collinsworth questioned, thought they would be overturned based on how the catch rule had been interpreted throughout the season. On those occasions, Bills fans, Patriots haters all across America were certain the NFL were somehow going to overturn these, somehow convince the refs to go in the Patriots' favors. And yet both times, the call on the field were was upheld and the touchdown stood. Mm-hmm. And I would not have re- overturned a call in either situation. Oh, no. They seemed – they actually seemed like easy calls to me, but – I've heard Patriots fans saying they think their team got screwed. They didn't. No way. I, I Yeah, I don't, I don't know that I would say they were easy calls. There was some question to them, and I think it's because there's so little clarity in the rule. Oh, the rule is ridiculous. Oh, it, it's a terrible rule. Although I would say the Corey Clement catch, had it been ruled incomplete on the field, I don't think I would have overturned that one either. He racked up 100 yards on just four receptions. Obviously, the biggest reception, that touchdown catch at the back of the end zone in the third quarter. Referees that he caught the ruled that he caught the ball, and he was while his left foot was down, and that he had adjusted the the ball in his arms, Mm -hmm. lifted his foot, placed the, the right foot down, and they said it was a complete catch. Now I don't know that he was adjusting the ball. In my opinion, and again, this is a judgment call. So, however they ruled it, uh, look, I can ex- I can accept their explanation. But in my opinion, while his left foot was down, he was still trying to gain control of the ball. I don't think he had control of the ball until his right foot was down, which meant that that would have been the first foot down. The second one was looked to be where his toes were out of bounds. And that would have been an incomplete pass, and therefore no touchdown. But look, I I can accept the referee's explanation. 
They're there on the field. I'm watching it on TV. They said he was just adjusting it in his arms. Fine. It's a judgment call. Uh, I, I didn't see enough there to really get all worked up about, did you? Right. No, I didn't think so. But then there was the Zach Ertz catch where he caught the ball, dove into the end zone, and the ball popped back up into the air, and he recaught it before it hit the ground. Mm-hmm. I have absolutely no problem with this call, especially since he recaught the ball. Did the ground cause the ball to come free? Was it already a touchdown? Did he break the plane? Was he a runner? Was he a receiver? All these things should not have to be figured out. It shouldn't be that complex. Right. When you look at that play as a football fan, that's a catch. Yeah. You know, that's a catch. Where the wheels come off is when you start comparing it to other catches and other situations throughout this football season. Or like all the salty Cowboys fans that are still comparing it to that Des Bryant catch from how many years ago? That's what I was just going to mention. Yeah, that's years ago. At some point, mm-hmm. you got to let it go. Yeah. At some point, move on. And Cowboy fans are, they're a special group of people. Yeah. As are Steeler fans who are also a little salty about it because their guy, tight end Jesse James, had a similar situation. And of course, it's against Patriots, so conspiracy mm-hmm. theorists are out in full force. Those guys were both ruled incomplete. The difference was... For Ertz, he was on his own power, Mm -hmm. diving into the end zone. He had already taken a couple of steps, whereas Bryant and James were both being tackled. Mm -hmm. They hadn't completed the catch. Now, obviously, Steelers fans, Cowboy fans are a special group of people. Um, They see things a little different. Both plays were close. I get it. So if you lacked perspective, which... Most Steeler fans and Cowboy fans that I know <laughs> do lack perspective. You're going to see it as unfair. You're going to see it that your team got robbed. The Patriot fans, some of them are seeing it as their team got robbed. It was close. But there wasn't enough there to create a controversy. There wasn't enough there to say, oh, man, the Super Bowl got ruined. But it could have. Mm-hmm. It could have if that – and you almost thought it was going to happen. Yeah. And yeah, I got the feeling that – It seemed like people were just waiting for Mm -hmm. that occasion where... It seemed like all season long, it reared its head at least once in every game I watched. So it just made sense that eventually it's going to happen. The the problem is, and it's obvious, everybody knows what the problem is. Even the NFL knows what the problem is, and at least they're planning to do something about it during the offseason. The problem is clarity. The rule is not clear. As a result, you have different officiating crews interpreting it differently. So what looks like the same play is sometimes ruled a catch, sometimes it's not. It depends on the week. It depends on the officiating crew. And fortunately, that's not how it is when it comes to the Word of God. There's a doctrine of Scripture which says that what is necessary to be known for salvation in Christ is clearly outlined in the Bible so that it's available to everyone not just someone who is learned. You don't need to rely on a priest. You don't need to rely on a pastor. You don't need to rely on some other church elder for interpretation. That's not to say that those people are, or those roles are bad. Uh, They add a lot of clarity. They help us to learn. They help us to understand. They help us not to misinterpret. But when it comes to salvation, the Bible's pretty clear. 
Now, you could say we're being illiterate or believing that you can't understand Scripture for yourself could lead to a lot of problems. And, of course, you're you're not going to be very motivated to read Scripture if you feel like you don't understand it. So God has made the Scriptures available, clearly available, to everybody who would read them. The NFL needs to be more like that. That catch rule needs to be more clear because it's one of the most important rules in the NFL, especially nowadays when it's a passing league. Even without ever opening a Bible, God has revealed himself to man. It's something referred to as general revelation. God has displayed his power and his divine nature through creation. One needs only to look at it, look at the stars, look at the advanced science, look at the beauty of the world around us, look at your own mind and into your own heart. God has revealed himself. Romans chapter 1, verse 20 says, For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made, so that they are without excuse. Man can't blame God for not understanding or for not knowing. They can't say that God ran and hid himself from them. It's not the fault of God when people choose not to see or they refuse to see what is clearly laid out in nature. As people say, you know, you can see or not see whatever you want. When someone is spiritually curious, I like to send them to the Gospel of John. That book is so clear when it comes to how to know Jesus. Some of the passages are are just so, for instance, take John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. That's pretty clear. John 14.3 clearly says that Jesus is the only way to heaven. Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Now, of course, there's different parts of the Bible that are more difficult to understand, perhaps requires a little bit more study. But when it comes to being saved from hell, the Bible is very clear. Once saved, God God will give you his Holy Spirit. When you're saved, you get God's Holy Spirit who is with you from that point forward for the rest of your lives. That Holy Spirit plays a role in helping you understand Scripture, helping you to learn, helping you to uh, understand the more difficult passages. The Bible's a living book in the sense that it speaks to you through that Holy Spirit. Now, Satan, Satan wants Christians to be ignorant of the Word of God. We can go all the way back to the Garden of Eden when he baited Eve into sinning against God. He baited her by asking if God had really said that you couldn't eat from any of the trees. And whether she didn't pay attention or whether she didn't commit it to memory, whatever it was, she didn't know what God had said well enough. And she got it wrong when she answered Satan in Genesis chapter 3, verse 3, by saying, But from the fruit of the tree, which is in the middle of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat from it or touch it or you will die. Now, God had never said that if you touch it, you will die. But this was just enough of an opportunity for Satan to manipulate that situation and get her to doubt God, which happens all the time. People doubt God. People question his existence because they don't know the Bible. If believers don't know their Bible, The devil has nothing to worry about when it comes to us. Believing that the Bible cannot be understood 
by regular folk. It's just a lie. It's a lie designed to keep people in the dark. Psalm 119, verse 97 through 100 says this, Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. Your commandments make me wiser than my enemies, for they are ever mine. I have more insight than all my teachers, for your testimonies are my meditation. I understand more than the aged, because I have observed your precepts. By reading and meditating on the Word of God, uh, we grow more. We understand more and more. And when we trust what it says and we obey what it instructs us to do, we grow all the more. As I say, when you step out in faith and you follow what it says, we grow because we're putting what we're learning into a practical application. Builds up our faith. If you're a believer in Christ, I want to encourage you to study the Word of God, to be a student of the Bible. Second Timothy 2.15 says, Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. And in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 to 17, it says, All scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. If you aren't a believer in Jesus, you can find him there in the pages of the Bible. It's very clear. Go to the Gospel of John if you're looking for a place to start. He wants you to know him. God wants you and invites you to have a relationship with him. If you're stuck between wanting to know Jesus, wanting to have the eternal life which he offers you, and that feeling of you'd have to give up so much, I challenge you that true peace, true joy only comes from knowing Jesus. James 4.8 says, Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. If you've, if you've got your heart and your mind set on the world and yet trying to set it on Jesus, I, I want to challenge you, draw close to God, and he will draw close to you. Psalm 34.8 says, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. How blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. If you want more information about how you can know Jesus as your personal Savior, you can visit our website, btgprogram.com. We're going to take a break, but we'll be right back. We'll wrap up this week's show. I'm Benson. He's Barletta. You're listening to the Beyond the Game program. When I have a home remodeling project, whether interior or exterior, I call McAfee's Remodeling Company. Family owned for nearly two decades, McAfee's Remodeling Company is the name I trust. Mike McAfee put a new bathroom into my house three years ago, and I'm still getting compliments on it every time someone comes over to visit. Mike and his crew are experienced and professional, and you'll be thrilled with their work. So give McAfee's Remodeling Company a call today at 402-1070. That's 402-1070. Or visit them online at McAfeeRemodeling.com. Are you a fan of March Madness? The Red Hawks are. And Roberts Wesleyan College will be hosting the East Coast Conference Men's and Women's Basketball Tournament this year. Plan to attend the semifinals on Saturday, March 3rd, and championship Sunday on March 4th, as teams compete to punch their ticket to the NCAA D2 National Tournament at Roberts Wesleyan College, Rochester's only NCAA Division II Athletic Scholarship Program. For all your Red Hawks information, visit robertsredhawks.com. Roberts Wesleyan, make it yours. 
Let me tell you about Town & Country Pest Solutions. They've been in business for nearly three very successful decades. They have the experience to tackle any pest problem. Covering Rochester, Syracuse, Buffalo, Albany, Watertown, any place that could pick up this radio station is somewhere Town & Country Pest Solutions takes on pests and critters of all kinds. Town & Country's technicians are friendly, professional, and most importantly, they're knowledgeable. Bees, wasps, roaches, ants, bats, mice, call Town & Country. Even raccoons or larger animals, call Town & Country. Have a bed bug problem or just want to check and make sure that you don't have a bed bug problem? Call Town & Country. Early detection is key when it comes to bed bugs, so if you suspect a potential problem, call Town & Country Pest Solutions today. Town & Country's success rate and their guarantee are both well above industry average. Call Town & Country Pest Solutions today, 585-426-5024. That's 585-426-5024. And let their team of professionals handle whatever pest problem you may have. Or visit them online, townandcountrysolutions.com. Town & Country Pest Solutions, fearing nothing but God. You're listening to Beyond the Game, talking sports from a different point of view. Beyond the Game is listener-supported. You can help by making a one-time gift or perhaps even committing to a monthly pledge amount. And if you own a business, consider advertising during the Beyond the Game program and promote your business to large audiences of both sports fans and people of faith. Please join us as we seek to encourage, equip, and evangelize through Sports Talk Radio. Visit our website at btgprogram.com for more information or make a donation via PayPal Secure Servers. Beyond the Game thanks you for both your financial and prayerful support. This has been an Encore presentation of the Beyond the Game program. I want to thank you for being with us. You can partner with our team here at Beyond the Game in bringing the gospel to thousands of listeners each week through Sports Talk Radio by making a financial contribution to help offset the costs of airtime. For more information or to make a donation, visit our website, btgprogram.com. There you will also find information about the program, past broadcasts that you can listen to, and information about how you can know Jesus Christ personally and experience for yourself forgiveness of sins. On behalf of Zach Barletta, I'm Rick Benson. Lord willing, we'll be back together again real soon. Be bold and be great this week, everybody. 